They said it could not be done. They said that bowl games aren't fun anymore. No one cares about bowl games anymore. They said that the only ones that matter are the playoff games. Even the New Year's Six games, partially, kind of. But then a savior came amongst our midst, and his name was Strawberry. And he was a little Pop-Tart. Actually, he was a big Pop-Tart, I guess. But he was, he was a Pop-Tart nonetheless. And instantly, he invigorated the crowds of, we'll say thousands, hundreds of thousands. I don't know if we'll say millions, but we'll at the very least say hundreds of thousands to watch the Pop-Tarts Bowl game. I don't even remember who that game was against. It was Kansas State against somebody else, obviously. Kansas State ended up winning, and they won the Pop-Tarts Bowl. What a beautiful lean-in by the Pop-Tarts company, I guess, the the, the Pop-Tarts group. It's a, it's, I don't know who owns Pop-Tarts. I don't think Pop-Tarts is the, the big conglomerate. I think it's owned by, like, Kellogg's or something like that. But... What, what an amazing job by them to just lean into, yeah, this is an ad, but like whatever, but we're going to make it fun. And that's what they did. They made it a blast. The Pop-Tart, whose name was Strawberry, I found out today that the, it actually had a name, was uh, an edible, it was an edible, an edible, an edible mos- a mascot. He was running around the field looking like a mascot for the entire game until the very end of the game when he was dropped into this massive fake toaster, but we'll call it real. It's not a real toaster. They didn't actually toast it, but, you know, dropped it into this fake toaster, and then out came a big version of strawberry that was edible. And according to some of the Kansas State players, it was very delicious. I didn't think they could pull it off. I didn't think that the powers that be could make one-up the Duke's Mayo Bowl, I guess, if you will. I didn't think that was going to be possible because the Mayo Bowl is also... Very, very much leaned into by commentators, by the players, by a lot of the support staff. Obviously, it's all mayo or nothing, essentially, at the Duke's Mayo Bowl. But Pop-Tarts, man, they did it. They said, you know what we're going to do to just make everybody go crazy? We're going to have this edible mascot that's only going to be edible at the very end of the game. But for the rest of the game, it's just going to be a regular mascot that's running around and acting like it's an actual mascot. And he was having the time of his life. I, I, I'm just, I, I don't even know how to describe it. He was dancing. At the very end, he held up a sign that said, dreams really do come true. When he was being lowered into a toaster to be eaten by the Kansas State team. Which is kind of dark, if you if you really think about it. The other thing that's kind of dark is he had a, a smile, essentially. Like, uh, the mascot actual costume had a smile. Like, that was the... The thing that was cut into his um, his icing and that it was supposed to be a smile. But if you really look at the actual mascot slash the Pop-Tart, they just cut him open to make it look like a smile, which is actually also kind of dark. Like, it's just his eyes. The eyes are the things that were actually put on there. And then in order to make a smile, if this is a real, a real sentient being, I guess, if you want to put it that way, the Pop-Tart was basically like cut where his stomach is, I guess, or whatever, to make a smile and make it look like he was actually happy to be eaten. When in reality, maybe he wasn't. Who knows? All he, well, he was holding up the sign, which that's fair. I, I do want to live in a world where Strawberry the Pop Tart was very happy to be eaten, to be consumed by the uh, by the by the Kansas State football team because that's fun. I I think that'd be a lot of fun. Now next year, there's probably odds being put down about who is going to be if Pop Tart's even going to be back. I hope Pop Tarts is back for next year, but there's probably odds being placed about who is going to be. Or what flavor is going to be the next edible, uh, the next edible pop tart? I would imagine. I mean, you can't go wrong with the s'mores one. I think that's a really good pick. Probably a little filling after the end of a football game. I mean, the pop tarts in general are probably a little filling after a football game. But smoothie flavor, or not smoothie? Sorry, s'mores flavor is probably a lot after a football game. So maybe not, maybe not s'mores. But I mean, there's blue raspberry or whatever. I don't even know all the Pop-Tarts flavors, to be honest with you. I'm not a huge Pop-Tarts fan, but I'll be honest with you. The ad worked. Afterwards, I was like, man, Pop-Tarts look really good right now. And they got me. They absolutely got me, which is, you know, that's how it works. But I, the 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 escalation of some of the memes that we got from our good friend Strawberry is hilarious. It just started from good old-fashioned uh, fun stuff during the during or I guess during the post game when he was being consumed by Kansas State players. They left in and true like it's like they knew what they were doing. Kansas State, the football team, for whatever reason, left one eye on the pop tart. It's the big pop tart, so you get nice before and after pictures of the pop tart going into this toaster 
with a sign that says dreams really do come true. And then afterwards, after everybody's eaten it, there's just an eye left (laughs) and it looks like he's just been devoured. And it's really funny. It's really funny. But that was kind of the beginning. And now, you know, in true internet fashion, we've evolved to like strawberry just showing up in all of the great conspiracies of the world and him being in like the background of photos of these great conspiracies and stuff. And it's just, that's how it escalates. It's awesome. It's great. I love it. I want more of this from college football. I I really, really want more of this from college football. I want them. You have the granddaddy of them all. You have your new year's six you have your new year's six that are like the serious versions of college football bowl games, your sugar bowl, your orange bowl, your rose bowl, obviously all the serious ones, the fiesta bowl. And then you have the fun ones. You've got the cheese. It's bowl. You've got the, the Duke's Mayo bowl. You got the, Pop Tarts Bowl, you got the Bahamas Bowl. Like there, there's other ones that are just leaning into the idea that this is just a giant ad for whatever company is sponsoring this. And they're like, yeah, that's okay. We can just lean into this and have fun with it. Who cares? I appreciate that. I appreciate the fact that they're just like screw all of your your classic semblances of what bowl games used to be. This is what they are now. This is all the only like outside of your New Year's Six games and even some of the New Year's Six games, but mostly outside of the New Year's Six games, it's like, yeah, this is a joke. Like, this is kind of a joke, and we're just here to kind of promote Pop-Tarts or Cheez-Its or Duke's Mayo or whatever it is, but potatoes, like the famous Idaho Potato Bowl. That's all it is anymore, and I appreciate the fact that they're just leading into it, and it was a great time to watch. It was a great time to watch the straw. I don't even remember who, I legitimately, I don't remember who was in that football game other than Kansas State. I don't remember who Kansas State was playing. I was more enamored by the fact that this strawberry Pop-Tart that was human-sized had legs on him was running around with the human inside of it, was going to be consumed by the winning football team, was going to be dropped into a toaster and consumed by the winning football team. It doesn't get better than that. It was just, it was peak. It was peak college football. Like if I ever needed to show anybody or an alien species what college football is really like or college football postseason is really like, I would have showed them that. Just the the clips of Strawberry the Pop-Tart running around the field uh, I think he slapped the butt of a security guard at some point as well. He was just having the time of his life only to be consumed at the very end by the winning football team. And that's just, that's Pete college football right there. I love it. God, I love college football. Welcome to the show, ladies and gentlemen. Hey, happy new year. Welcome to the Weekend Sports Rep Podcast. We're back for another year, another year of uh, sports, uh, whatever else we want to talk about. I wanted to come on here a little bit to talk about Netflix, kind of, because I was going through some Netflix stuff the other day. The Netflix, uh, not the, I guess the, not a category, but the catalog, that's the word I'm looking for. The Netflix catalog. And I was like, man, they just put anything on there. They will put whatever you want on there. And I know Netflix does not make a lot of money. Like actually, I don't think they make any money. I don't think that's a profitable company from according to a lot of like business insider stuff that I've read. It's not a profitable uh, company. And I look at some of the material that they put up there and I'm like, yeah, I like, that's not surprising to me that Netflix is a company that is like, we're going to make everything you could possibly imagine and put it on this massive platform and give a ton of money out to try to make these things. Like they have a couple hits here and there, like stranger things obviously is a huge hit. Uh, the crown is a huge hit won multiple Emmys obviously, but that is like few and far between. It feels like they have a lot of, they have a lot of garbage on there. I just to say the least. It feels like most of the stuff that Netflix puts out is like, I don't know, if you, hey, uh, have you ever tried to purchase stamps? Guess what? We have a documentary about the making of stamps. Like, that's the kind of stuff that they put on there. And I'm like, how was this funded? Like, I don't understand how this was created. Hey, uh, remember that one time when that one guy got caught sliding down a flagpole at a middle school in uh, Lansing, Michigan? We have a documentary about that. Like, what do you mean you have a documentary? That was nothing. It was just some guy sliding down a flagpole. Who cares? For some reason, they'll have a documentary about it. And that feels like if you just scroll through Netflix, you'll just see things that you had never heard of that you're like, how did this How did this happen? How did this get made? Why is this a thing? Anyways, I'm going on a rant. I just wanted to, I, I saw that yesterday and I was like, there, there's no situation in which I would watch like 90% of this stuff. I don't understand how they're still somewhat of a thriving company like it just doesn't make any sense to me in the streaming world that we have where i mean they're upping their prices pretty consistently and more people are backing out like that's gotta at some point kind of level out and then netflix be like yeah we need help like please 
because they're just doing quantity over quality stuff at this point. Um, okay, let's talk some sports. Let's talk some sports. Hey, that's what you can expect from the Weekend Sports Rep Podcast. We go on a little bit of some rants, okay? We talk some everything. We talk movies. We talk sports, whatever it is that's on my mind, all right? Welcome to, I run this show, all right? That's what happens. That's how it works. Um, welcome to, yeah, again, welcome to the show. Thank you guys very much for tuning in to a new year, new year, new us. Please remember to uh, follow the podcast wherever you get get your podcast. You can listen to it anywhere, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, wherever you get your typical podcasts is where you can listen to the show as well as sharetomedia.com. Please leave a rating on those podcasting platforms if you don't mind. It greatly helps out the analytics, gets more people into the podcast, the the show in general, it gets more people to see the show and uh, it, helps, uh, it helps us out a lot. So I greatly appreciate it. We're back for another year and we're going to talk, obviously, Right now, first to start off the first topic of the day, we're going to talk some college football playoff games. They were very good. I was a little, not disappointed, but I guess I, I saw Alabama's offense and I was like, wow, I'm I'm really happy they didn't put a bad offense into the college football playoff, question mark, question mark, question mark. Because, I mean, Alabama, look, they've come a long way. They really have. Because we saw the Texas game and it was like, wow, this is a different team. I was like... After that Texas game and the, um, what was it, the UAB game, I think is who it was when they played UAB, I was like, is Nick Saban like planning on retiring? Like, this is this is tough watch. Like, this is probably the worst team they've ever had. And it probably still is in terms of talent, the worst team, or I guess well-rounded talent, the worst team that they have probably had in a while. But with that being said, there is no better coaching opportunity for Nick Saban. And he clearly showed it. He was like, look, I know you guys are doubting me right now, but guess what? A- after that UAB game, he was like, all right, I'm just going to, I'm going to turn it on. I'm going to become Nick Saban again. And he drove them all the way to the playoff was on the, ed- the borderline there to win the college football or college football playoff semifinal. And uh, then didn't happen. Got a very uh, bad situation on a fourth and goal play and overtime got them to overtime in the first place. Jalen Milrow played pretty good as a quarterback. They really couldn't do anything through the air, but they were drawing up some very, very good, they had some QB counter plays. They were like running all over Blake. Well, all over is probably a little excessive, but running in, in a pretty effectively against Michigan, a Michigan team that has been very good against the run all season long and seeing Michigan kind of, or excuse me, Alabama get a lot of what they wanted from running the football was impressive. I was impressed by that Alabama team. I didn't think it was going to be that. I mean, I, I never, I didn't expect it to be a blowout, but I did think that that Michigan team was pretty head and shoulders above that Alabama team basically at every position on the field, except maybe like a couple areas in the, in the secondary uh, outside of like uh, Kool-Aid McKinstry in the secondary for Alabama. But other than that, it's pretty much head and shoulders. Michigan had the advantage in that game from a, from a talent perspective, but uh, Alabama just, you know, again, they have the greatest coach in the history of the game. I did not necessarily doubt that they weren't going to be able to hold into, you know, keep it close, I guess, in this game. But the fact that they they were, I mean, for the first, basically the first half, they were getting dominated by Michigan, but they they held it together. A couple special teams mistakes from Michigan really put Alabama in good situations that they weren't necessarily able to capitalize on. That ended up going Michigan's way, obviously. And in the end, you know, Michigan leans on their stellar running back, their stellar running back group, I guess, but mainly Blake Corum. And it gets them into the college football national championship. Michigan. I mean, Blake Corum is, he's one of those guys that I see him play and he doesn't get, I mean, he's one of the best running backs in the country, obviously, but he's also one of those guys that feels like maybe 10, 15 years ago is somebody that would be in the front running for winning a Heisman or something like that, because that's how effective he is when he runs the football. He really, the the offense really runs through his running ability and how effective he is running the football. It's not necessarily, and JJ McCarthy's a pretty good quarterback. He's not bad by any means, obviously, but you know, 10 to 15 years ago, we're talking about Blake Corum, you know, at the very least getting a Heisman invite. I don't know if he wins or anything like that, obviously, but it's crazy how much the game has just changed in that sort of that this short amount of time, 10 to 15 years where that's basically a quarterback award. Now, like there's no, there's really not a running back, that is going to be able to win that award unless they break an astounding amount of, you know, an astounding record or something like that in college football. And I just don't think we're going to see it anymore. But Blake Quorum is one of those guys where, you know, a while ago he was, he would have been one of the front runners for a Heisman vote. And uh, he's just, he's that good. He's really, really good running back. And he just doesn't get, I don't think enough shine where he deserves to get some. I mean, he's the leader of that offense. 
has been for the last few years. And uh, it's basically how well he plays is how far Michigan is going to go unless, you know, J.J. McCarthy uh, really puts together a, a shining performance, which, you know, he's had those moments now and again. But again, it, it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a team that runs through, literally runs through Blake Corum. That final play call, by the way, but by Alabama, I don't think that was necessarily a bad play call. I think that was that's a lot of the the overwhelming conversation that's being had right now in the college football landscape. Uh, and I think it was more just a botched. If you rewatch that play, it feels like it was more of a botched play. It looked like in the center for Alabama had been having snap troubles all night long. Like he had a just, I think on that previous drive, if I remember correctly, there was a moment where he uh, the center for Alabama, whose name I don't have in front of me right now, but he rocketed it almost right past Jalen Milrow. And it took Jalen Milrow's like speedy, quick reactions to stop the ball from going behind him and essentially ending that football game. Uh, and there again, it was a low snap. I think Jalen Milrow maybe panicked a little bit, but that extra, you know, half second that he needed to take in order to gather the football. And it looked like it was a, a RPO situation where he was going to have an option for a swing pass out to the running back on the outside. And then maybe couple, uh, not crossers, but slants on the end that were cutting towards the middle of the field. And if those weren't open, then he would have an option to run. But the low snap immediately made him think about running the football right straight up the gut, which obviously did not work out for them going straight up the gut with a, in a crazy good interior defensive line in Michigan. Um, so I don't know if it was just a bad play call, especially after two timeouts. I can't imagine that was the play call, uh, the, the only play call they came up with. I think that was more of an RPO situation where the bat snap really just ruined that entire play. If you watch it back, you can see the running back kind of come out of the backfield and go into motion and get ready for a situation where he's going to receive the ball out of the backfield or uh, some style of RPO or something like that. And, um, you know, the bat snatch just completely blew up the play call and made it impossible to kind of recover from that and then try to make a play out of it. So I don't know if it was a bad call more than it was just botched. It felt like at that point. So that's all it takes sometimes in in, uh, in college football playoff Playoff games. It's all it takes. All it takes is that one little mess up and your season is over. It was a very good game, though. We had two very good games. We've had the past few years, we've had a couple of very good semifinal games. Uh, and even, I mean, the national championship uh, last year obviously was not great with Georgia just annihilating TCU. But the semifinal games have really, have really, like, this is, this is a good year for the semifinal, at least of the four teams, the 14 playoff to really go away because it's proving that it is working. Uh, it's getting the best four teams in there for the most part. And I think it's, especially these final two years, I think it's done a very, a very good job of getting two uh, or four evenly matched teams for the most part play against one another and getting good games out of it. There were some games in the early, uh, the early years of the playoff where we're like, is this really working? Like, is this worth it? Like, you know, some very ugly games, but now I think it's really shown that uh, it's, it's a, it's a very, effective way to find the best teams in college football. And I think it's working well. And now I'm curious to see how it works with the 12 team playoff. We're bound to have more blowouts, obviously with the 12 team playoff, because we just saw Liberty go to uh, Oregon or not go to Oregon, but go to the Fiesta bowl. Was that Fiesta bowl? I think that was the Fiesta bowl and they were playing Oregon and Oregon just ransacked that Liberty team. Oregon was a very good team all year. That was a tough, a tough draw for Liberty, obviously, but you know, I mean, I, I think that's kind of, what we're going to have to expect with an expanded playoff like that, where those teams and, and you know, Liberty, they deserve, if they go 13 and 0 like that again, they deserve to be in that playoff, obviously, but with more teams, you're bound to have more blow uh, blowout situations like that. So it's kind of expected. We'll see how they tend to measure that all out, but you know, it's expected. Have you visited Alpine Climate Control showroom? They have fireplace features, furnaces, outdoor fire pits, and pizza ovens that are all hooked up and working so you can see exactly how they all function before you buy. They also have outdoor seating, heat, and lights available. Stop by Alpine Climate Control and visit the showroom today. The showroom is open weekdays from 8.30 until 4.30 and every Saturday from 10 until 4. Alpine Climate Control located at 2705 Coffeen Avenue in Sheridan and online at alpineclimatecontrol.com. The other playoff game, the game that I think was actually more fun to watch, the Washington versus Texas game. This game felt like two teams that were matched up kind of perfectly. Uh, Texas got down, uh, was it by 14 at one point? Because they uh, fumbled the football. Washington was able to go down and score, if I remember correctly. I, remember, I think I'm remembering that correctly. Uh, and then it felt like uh, there was going to be a situation where Washington was maybe going to pull away. But Texas, they crawled back. Uh, Michael Penix Jr., again, he is a... 
blast to watch play football. He is one of the funnest players to watch. And that's the other thing about Heisman voting too, is I wish they would wait till the end of the year. Now, granted, you're going to weigh these games, obviously, a lot more than if Jaden Daniels played in that game between LSU and Wisconsin. If Jaden Daniels carves up Wisconsin or whatever, then I don't know how much they actually take into account that game versus Michael Penix kind of carving up Texas in a playoff game. And that's kind of a counter argument to my situation. But Michael Penix Jr., man, like that's a that's a, a very, very good Texas defense that has not really been carved up like that all season, it feels like. And Michael Penix was just hitting deep balls all game. He was throwing, he was, I mean, and he's been doing this all season, uh, but he was launching the ball downfield. He has a couple of really, really good receiver, receivers as well, obviously. He averaged 11.03 yards per dropback, which is, he's averaging a first down plus a yard, essentially, per t- per dropback. Every time he went back to throw the football, which is insane. Absolutely insane. And that's a like that team is so much fun to watch. I, I love watching that team play on offense and they've really crafted a very good, a very, very good offensive scheme around what Michael Penix does best. I'm curious to see how much he, I guess, slides up draft boards after this playoff run, no matter what, I guess what really happens in this Michigan game will determine a lot of what happened, uh, what happens in his draft stock. But he is, he's older, he's an older prospect, which is never really something that is good if you're a prospect, like, going into the NFL. NFL NFL scouts like to see younger players going to the NFL because it's easier to develop them to the NFL game. Usually when you're an older, an older player coming from the college game, you are kind of set in your ways as a quarterback. It's harder to develop you into an NFL caliber player uh, when you're past the a certain age, essentially, or you've played so much of college football at the quarterback position. Uh, which is why like Bo Nix is not getting a whole lot of uh, a whole lot of attention as a pro scout or as a pro player either. And he's probably he's, they're both probably going to be first round picks, uh, but that's why they're not, you know, one number one, number two overall pick. That's why, you know, Caleb Williams is and Drake Mayers because they're younger and they can kind of be attuned to the NFL game more so than Penix and, and Bo Nix can. Penix also has some injury history as well, which is obviously going to be a problem. I think he's had two ACL surgeries, one on both knee, if I remember correctly. Uh, but he's getting hot at the right time, obviously. Like, he's really putting together a fantastic display, uh, especially in that game against Cass. He was he was throwing some frozen ropes in in spots that uh, I don't know if any other quarterback in college football can make. He was uh, he was incredible last night. He was a very showed a very very good amount of um, poise, and I think that game against Michigan is going to be going to be very very interesting uh, because it's going to be a matchup of Blake Corum, who is a fantastic running back. Like I said. And Washington's run defense is, which is not a very good run defense. Their rush defense, uh, heading into that Texas game, had been giving up nearly a forty-eight percent success rate against the run, which is a, which came into the, coming into that game was one hundred and seventeenth in the country, and that's a bad matchup for Washington, obviously against Blake Corum, a very very physical offensive line of Michigan, and they should have a uh, Michigan should have a pretty substantial advantage when it comes to running the football against against Washington in that game. Now, granted, Michael Penis can kind of, I guess, alleviate all of that if he's able to kind of put Washington, and, you know, he's not the only great player on that team, obviously. The, again, they've got a very good set of wide receivers in Roma Dunze, uh, who's got almost fit, or over 1,500 yards on the season, and then Jalen Polk, who has 1,100 yards on the season. Uh, Oduze has 13 touchdowns as well. Polk, nine touchdowns. So a couple of very good kind of game-breaking wide receivers out wide as well that have really broken apart or broken open this uh, Washington offense and made it kind of what it is today. And I think, honestly, if it becomes, you know, a run-heavy game for Michigan, obviously it, it heavily favors Michigan in that sense. Uh, you know, a slow game, the pace is slowed down a lot. You know, the, the defense for Washington isn't really able to get off the field after, you know, quick one, two, three play drives because they're hitting bombs downfield. That Michigan, that that honestly works into Michigan's favor because then they're able to run the ball. If Washington isn't able to stop it, then Michigan's able to just run the ball as much as they want, control the time of possession, kind of go down and score at their own, at their own pace. But if Washington's able to, uh, get out ahead, get maybe a couple a uh, turnover or two from JJ McCarthy or, uh, you know, just uh, special teams turnovers, which they're able to capitalize on in the Texas game. If they're able to get out ahead and maybe play in a shootout type of game 
and have Michigan play from behind, then it def- that definitely favors Washington. That will favor Washington because I have a lot more faith in Michael Penix and that receiving core for Washington than I do J.J. McCarthy and the receiving core for Michigan. If you can kind of eliminate, which is a lot easier said than done, obviously, if you can eliminate the possibility of Blake Corum having a huge amount of control over the game for Michigan, then Washington should be able to have an advantage in that game. But we'll see. We'll see what happens. Michigan also a very, very good defense. Like, I don't think Washington's going to be able to hit those deep plays as frequently as they did in against Texas. Texas, again, was a pretty decent defense. Their secondary has been problematic in terms of giving up those big, deep plays throughout the season as well, which obviously played heavily into Washington's favor. Um, but Michigan does not allow that very often. They are not a, a, a team that gives up very many explosive plays, and if they're able to limit that from Washington and control the time of possession run the ball a lot with Blake Corum, then they can be, they'll be sitting pretty happily with that game. So that is the national championship, Washington versus Michigan. Great uniform matchup, by the way, purple and gold, like an actual gold versus Michigan's blue and yellow. Great, great uniform matchup. It's a W versus an M, which is cool. It's the reverse matchup, reverse letter matchup. That's always cool. Might as well make it a rivalry because that's kind of what we do in college football now, just a random rivalries. And uh, yeah, it'll be fun to watch. I'm excited. This is this feels like the correct ending for this playoff. Like these were two the two best teams in college football all season long outside of Georgia for most of the season up until the conference championship game, which some people are still making the argument that Georgia would probably be favored against both those teams. But that's not the point. OK, when your conference title game and then you could have the possibility to play in this game. You didn't win your conference championship game. Sorry, dog. Pun intended. Sorry, dogs. But you're not. I mean, sorry. Like, even if you were favored in this game, you didn't win the game that you should have won to get into this con into this playoff. So I mean, you can have that argument while you're sitting on the couch watching the game yourself. But it feels like these two are the the teams that should be at the ending. Like this is far and away. Michigan's been the best team in the country, both uh, defensively running the football, Washington. Very high-powered offense, been able to squeak by. I think they said they had six one-score wins in a row or something like that, and they've been able to squeak by like that, but still a very high-powered offense, probably the best offense in the entire country throughout most of the season. Um, So this felt like the correct ending for this season, these two teams matching up against each other. So we'll see what happens. We'll see what happens. Hi, it's Kathleen and Jack from 307 Real Estate. If you're thinking of buying a property in the near future, the first thing you should do is call your banker or a home loan company and get pre-qualified. That way you'll know in advance how much you can borrow for your dream home. Great advice, Kathleen. There's nothing worse than finding that perfect home and then finding out you don't qualify. Once qualified, give us a call and we can start looking for that perfect home. We're a Wyoming-based company and here for you, Wyoming. Call Kathleen and Jack at 307 Real Estate, 307-763-1249. You're in heaven living in 307. Okay, let's move on to some NFL stuff, shall we? Let's move on to the NFL. I want to talk first off about, I think was probably the biggest news, biggest news of the, I guess, heading into the weekend, if you will. This was announced, I think on Wednesday or something like that, last week, Wednesday of last week, Thursday of last week, something like that. Uh, Russell Wilson, the quarterback for the Denver Broncos who signed a, Five-year, $242,588,236 contract with the Denver Broncos was benched. He was benched this past week in favor of Jarrett Stidham. For me, this feels like a very obvious play for the Broncos to cut Russell Wilson come post-January, or not January 1st, excuse me, June 1st, uh, because there's a whole bunch of, I think that's when the fiscal year for 2024 in the NFL technically begins or something like that. There's a lot of contract stuff that does not make a lot of sense to me, to be honest with you, but that's kind of how I understand it, I think. But that's what I think they're kind of clearing the way for. I think they are on their way, well on their way to cutting and just eating the money uh, for Russell Wilson, which by the numbers, I can give you the numbers right now of what that would cost. So if there were to cut Russell Wilson, there is a a weird, like I said, pre-June 1st, post-June 1st stipulation. If they were to cut him pre-June 1st release date, then they would be on the hook for $85 million. They would have $85 million in just dead cap for the 2024 season, which is brutal. Like, they cannot do that, obviously. So, 
If they cut them June 1st or post June 1st, then they'll be on the hook for the next two years. 35, they'll have to pay the $85 million over two years. So 85, uh, 35.4 million in the 2024, uh, which would just be dead cap. And then in 2025, they would be on the hook for $49.6 million uh, just in dead cap. And according to Bill Barnwell of ESPN, they would also be on the hook for $39 million in just cash for 2024. Trading Russell Wilson before June 1st would leave the Broncos with a staggering $68 million in dead money next year, unless Denver could convince the acquiring team to pay his $22 million option bonus. There's a lot of contract stipulations here, which is uh, like, I think there's an injury clause and so uh, and so forth that would net him like $35 million in, in guaranteed money or something ridiculous like that. Um, but you know, there's a lot of, a lot of extra stuff in there, but the, the crux of it is for the next two years, they're going to have to pay up $85 million total in just dead money. It's just dead money. It's not even like they can't use it. That'll just be be against the cap that they can't use to go anywhere else with to go get free agents or anything. That is just $85 million that they will not be able to use next year when trying to acquire free agents or anything like that. So it's it's just a massive disappointment, I think, for uh, the Broncos. and, And again, this is all speculation at this point in time because we don't know if they're actually going to cut him, but there's really no other reason for them to make this move except for the fact that they want to cut him and avoid injury and have that, whatever it is, $35 million guarantee for the next season kick in in which they cut him and then they're paying an extra, you know, $35 million on top of it. That's fully guaranteed, Uh, which brings me to a funny situation because Russell Wilson now has a fully like lunch table scenario around him. When you, when you're in middle school, in middle school or even high school or whatever, and you're sitting around the lunch table and you're talking to your friends, you were like, Hey, would you break your arm for $5 million? Like you personally, like you actually break your arm. Nobody else does it. You break your arm for $5 million. Now, Russell Wilson has that exact scenario and it's real life. Like, Hey, Russell Wilson, would you tear your ACL for $35 million? Would you do that? Would you tear your own ACL for $35 million? Guaranteed money. For $35 million. Now there's probably, it's probably a lot more complicated than that. Obviously I'm not, I don't think they just write it up like that. There's probably a lot more complicated things that happen. Like it has to happen on a football field or something like that, obviously. But I mean, it's there the option Russell Wilson, like, like he's he, now he's got to start thinking about it. He's like, well, you know, maybe he was on the practice field in Denver and uh, oops, I slipped and fell. Like this is the ultimate sue the company for, blank amount of money and you're a millionaire for Russell Wilson. The lunch table scenario for Russell Wilson now is, Hey, can you break your own arm for $35 million? Is that, can I do that? And is that a thing that happens? I have no idea if that's actually how that works, but who knows? I, it'd be interesting if, if he comes up with like a, a torn UCL or something and he has to get Tommy John surgery over the next few months or so, then maybe we're like, did he do that on purpose? The, that would be the ultimate conspiracy, obviously the ultimate conspiracy. So who knows? I don't know what the Broncos are going to do. I really have no idea where they go from here. To be honest, they're going to have to, unless they want to go forward with Jared Stidham, which isn't the, you know, it's not the best option in the world. It's not the worst option in the world. He wasn't terrible in the game against the chargers. He wasn't awful, but he wasn't great either. By any means, I don't think he really flashed anything that was like, Oh wow, there's something there either. But with that being said, I, like, I think there could be some, I guess small money, uh, small money guys in free agency that they could possibly go get that could maybe make a difference uh, for the offense that could help them going forward. That is cheaper, obviously, because that's the only thing they're, they're going to be able to search for in free agency. If they end up cutting Russell Wilson, then there is going to be a very legitimate, you know, search for not the greatest quarterback and the the cheapest quarterback, I guess, essentially for the Broncos, and then just try to ride it out for the next few years, essentially. You're basically tanking at this point if you're Broncos fans. That is what you have to look forward look forward to. The the contract with Russell Wilson has not worked out and you've put all that money into the quarterback position which has not panned out and that means that your situation going forward is going to make it very hard for you to find anything in free agency that is going to match the amount of money that you're able to put forward for basically anybody at least for any top tier player in the NFL. You're basically screwed. Like you're not going to be able to go out and get any of the top receivers in uh, free agent classes or any of the top, maybe not running backs, any of the top uh, tight ends in free agent classes, any of the top defensive ends 
and any of the free agent classes and in any of the, you know, basically in the next two years, you're not going to be able to do that. It's basically going to be tanking for whoever the next great quarterback prospect is that's coming up in the NFL draft. Or, you know, you get really, really, really lucky and hit on Jared Stidham and he turns out to be a good quarterback that you can maybe go places with. But even then, if that is the case, you're still owing $85 million in dead money on your cap that you're not going to be able to surround pieces around Jared Stidham that are going to help you win really anything. So it's, you know, it's a pick your poison situation for the Denver Broncos. Do you want to, do you want to try to grow out Jared Stidham and see what happens there? Oh wait, there's nothing to surround him with. That's, you know, viable money options. Anyways, they're just going to have to hit on a couple of really good drafts if they want to remain relevant for the next basically four years, essentially with the amount of money that they're paying Russell Wilson and just dead money. And this is all, like I said, speculation, who knows if they're going to cut him. It just feels that way. That is the move that they made kind of all signs point to they're going to cut him post June 1st, just so that they don't have to have that money on their, on their, I mean, they're still going to have to have their money on their books, but essentially uh, money on their books that they're not using free up a roster spot, essentially of possibilities because they, I think they know what they're going to get out of Russell Wilson at this point, And they don't want more of that money coming as he ages. He's 35 years old right now as he ages out of that position and he basically kind of, and you know, I don't think this is the end all be all for Russell Wilson necessarily. I think there are current, I think there's a possibility of him getting in a situation with a good, better offensive minded quarterback in my, or um, head coach, in my opinion, unlike Sean Payton, I don't think he's the right necessarily, uh, necessarily the right fit, I guess. Uh, and I think I was saying that he was a good fit at the beginning of the season, but I, nothing has shown me that they are a good fit together. But I think if, he finds Russell Wilson, if he finds a offensive coordinator that is able to, I guess, kind of work around what he is somewhat good at now, which is like, you can really put any, put him in situations that you like a one read go type of guy, I guess, which is basically what they've turned him into. He's a robot essentially in Denver. So somewhere like San Francisco, even though they're not looking for a quarterback, obviously with Brock Purdy, they are in like the perfect situation there's no shot they're going to go and get Russell Wilson because Brock Purdy is like the perfect, not quarterback, but given the financials, like the perfect option to have at that position, you're paying him like $700,000 a year, which makes you makes it a situation where you can basically get whoever you want uh, on the rest of the team. And Brock Purdy is good enough to lead that team to special places. But, uh, you know, I don't, I, dude, I don't even know where he could go to be honest. Now that I'm thinking about it, where he could go that really could bring, a lot out of him at this point. He could be a good backup, I guess, but for $240 million, $256 million, that's a lot of money for a backup quarterback. I don't know if that's really going to be, it feels like he's going to be like the next, I don't know, like the Brian Hoyer, I guess a, a version of that where maybe he's jump or a, a case Keenum where he's jumping around different places. A team loses their quarterback uh, due to injury, like Joe Flacco, I guess, a version of Joe Flacco, where a quarterback loses their quarterback due to injury or something, and he is right there able to step in, and he can be the quarterback that maybe leads them to the promised land as a average to good quarterback in the NFL. He's not worth the four, you know, the three years, 200 and some odd, or $170 million they have left to pay on the contract, but that's a situation where if you're going all out as a team where you can, you can justify, you know, the ends justify the means in that scenario. So I don't know. I don't know what's next for the Russell Wilson. I have no idea what's next for the Broncos. The Broncos are in a very tough situation. They have to really hope that they, I mean, I don't know if they'll hit on Stidham, but at the very least they have to be able to hit on these next few drafts with, you know, middle to low draft picks or I guess high draft picks. If you know, better, the lower, the better, the number, uh, I guess uh, golf, golf rules, if you will. The lower the pick, the better at this point. And if you're hitting on those draft picks, then maybe there's a scenario in which they come back from this quicker than we would expect. But it feels like this is the begin the beginning of a not very fun run for the Denver Broncos. But we'll see. We'll see what happens. Uh, this could just be a rant, and then they end up keeping him. Who knows? I, I have no idea. But it feels like it feels like this is the end of Russell Wilson in a Denver Broncos jersey. But we'll see. For the actual games that happened this weekend let's start with the best one i guess the most impressive one i guess is what we'll say lamar jackson the baltimore ravens they seal uh lamar jackson i guess seals the mvp race 
uh, and the one seed uh, in the AFC with a 56 to 19 victory over the Miami Dolphins. It was a completely dominant showing. That team is fantastic, basically from top to bottom. Their pass rush maybe leaves a little bit to, to be desired, but I mean, their linebackers, their their secondary is all very good players. Like, and they were they were playing like an injured secondary. There was a bunch of practice squad guys guys out there on that secondary yesterday, and they just have such a good scheme that really I think. And again, the linebackers, the middle of the field play is all very good. Like Patrick Queen, Roquan Smith, that's probably the best one-two duo we've seen in linebackers in a while. To be honest with you, like one-two duo like that at linebacker at the linebacker position, we haven't seen in a while like it maybe since the Seahawks time I guess the the um Legion of Boom Seahawks time I guess when it was Bobby Wagner like Bruce Irvin KJ Wright like those guys were pretty good but Brokon Smith and Patrick Queen those are probably like two top I would say Brokon Smith's in the top five middle linebackers you could make the argument Patrick Queen's probably top 15 in uh, in linebackers in the NFL. And we haven't really seen a pairing like that in a while where both of them are on the same team like that. Um, so it, it, they're very good team, very good defense. And then offensively, again, Lamar Jackson seals the MVP. Essentially he goes, what was it? It's 18 for 21 for 321 yards, five touchdowns. He was averaging nearly one EPA per play, which is absurd. An absolute absurd number. That's like a, the hundredth percentile type of good. And then he had a total EPA in this game of 26.6. So, Truly an insane day for Lamar Jackson. One of the best days that I can remember him having. Uh, he had that one game against the Dolphins not too long ago that started off his first MVP run where they put up like 60 points or something ridiculous like that. And that was like kind of the moment we were like, whoa, okay, maybe Lamar Jackson's like got it. Maybe he's maybe he's really good. And then he ended up, ended up winning the MVP that year. Um, and that this game, the game against the Dolphins this year, he basically sealed it. He is, is minus, I think, a six minus 6,000 favorite Right now, uh, that's like the best odds you can get for him to win the MVP. Some places have him at minus 20,000, essentially. So it's essentially a wrap. If you put $10 down on minus $20,000 bet uh, or minus 20,000 odds, it's like one in 200, I think, are the fractional odds. And if you were to put $10 down, you'd win three cents if you won that bet. That's essentially how favored he is right now to win the MVP. And if he does win the MVP, he would become just the 11th player to win multiple MVPs in NFL history joining Peyton Manning, Aaron Rodgers, Jim Brown, Johnny Unitas, Brett Favre, Tom Brady, Joe Montana, Steve Young, Kurt Warner, and Patrick Mahomes. A pretty good list. A pretty good list to be a part of. And do you remember, this is funny now looking back on this, because he's on his way to becoming one of 11 players to win multiple MVPs, and the Ravens basically signed him to a franchise tag this offseason and then signed him to his new contract. But in the offseason, he was franchise tagged, and then they signed him again. And there were teams that were just straight up not offering a qualifying offer to that franchise tag. You could basically match whatever the Ravens were offering. And then, you know, it becomes a bidding war essentially at that point. And there were teams that were in that are in dire conditions right now that were just like, no, we're not pursuing Lamar Jackson. Like, can you believe Isn't that insane to think about now? The, the Falcons were one of those teams that had the, the money, the position to be able to go and get Lamar Jackson. They had all the money they needed to go and get him. And they were just like, yeah, we're not, we're not pursuing him. Not, no, thanks. Nah, we're not going to do that. And then the commanders were another one. The Washington commanders were another one. I guess they wanted to see what they had in Sam Howell, but I mean, it just, it looks so dumb now. It looks so, the Panthers were another team that had the money to go and do it. Uh, granted Bryce Young for picking the draft. That doesn't, it's not too stunning, I guess, but still like the fact that I guess the most just brain dead one to me is the Falcons where they were just like, yeah, we don't need him. You know, we don't really need him right now, which is just like that that's that hurts my head it makes sense now like looking at the situation that a lot of those players are in with Bijan Robinson seemingly I mean he's he's had his moments but is seemingly just disappearing from that offense Kyle Pitts is another one and I've said it numerous times on this podcast Kyle Pitts is on any other team he's probably a pro bowl a yearly pro bowl tight end like that is how good Kyle Pitts is in terms of like the the stu- the the physicals that he has the physical ability that he has, some of the routes that he runs uh, on that team. It's just bad quarterback plays. He's never, uh, he's never given the ball. It's just, it's depressing. It's so depressing. Uh, their defense has played better than I thought they would, but still granted, like we're talking offense here. And if that team had Lamar Jackson, who knows where they are? Honestly, at this point, they could be, they could be literally legitimately a possible candidate to win the NFC if they had Lamar Jackson at quarterback at that Atlanta Falcons team. So just, 
hilarious, hilarious stuff from Atlanta. Just crazy to think that in the offseason, there was no qualifying offer offered other than the franchise tag from Baltimore, obviously, and then he signed his contract. But there was no matched qualifying offer from any of the other 31 teams that uh, were looking for quarterback. And I guess any of the other 25 teams, essentially 24 teams that were looking for a quarterback that nobody offered Lamar Jackson a qualifying offer. Just it makes my head hurt thinking about that. And he's well on his way to become one of 11 players to win two MVPs in their entire career and joining a list of more than likely, uh, for the most part, first ballot Hall of Famers. And finally, let's wrap things up here with one of the, I guess, weirder games of the weekend, the Cowboys versus the Lions. That was, I guess it wasn't really weird. The ending was weird. The ending was really weird. I've never seen an ending quite like that. And I guess for those that didn't see it, uh, the the Lions had scored with you know very minimal amount of time left on the fourth quarter clock. I can't remember how much time was on there, but it was a small amount of time that the for the most part, it seemed like the Cowboys were not going to be able to come back from if the Lions had converted the upcoming two-point conversion. So Lions go out to convert the two-point conversion. They're down 20 to 19, so this two-point conversion essentially puts them on top and more than likely seals the game for victory. Uh, they go out, and when you see the replay, the overhead replay, it looks like two linemen walk up to Brad Allen, I think is the, the head referee in that game, yeah, Brad Allen. And he goes, they go up to Brad Allen and they're both seemingly reporting. Now, only one guy can report on the offensive line as eligible receiver, but obviously I think two of them go up there to try to confuse the defense because they're all looking at that, obviously, as well. And I think two of them go up there. So one of them reports, one of them does not. And according to Brad Allen, it was number 70 who reported who is another offensive tackle. His name is Tom Skipper, I think is his name. I got to double check it. I got to double check it. Hold on. Let me double check it. I got to make sure. I think it's Tom Dan Skipper. I don't know who Tom Skipper is. That's a fake name. Dan Skipper is the other tackle who seemingly quote unquote reported. That's what Brad Allen said. He said number 70 reported who's Dan Skipper. But in reality, it was according to the Lions, Taylor Decker, who was number 68, who reported who was the one that caught the touchdown pass. He reported as an eligible, a eligible receiver as the tight end quote unquote of the play. And uh, he caught, he caught the two point conversion in the end zone. Everybody thought the Lions had won. And then Brad Allen drops the flag saying ineligible receiver downfield. And they say that number 70 Dan Skipper reported Taylor Decker did not. But if you watch the replay, they both walk up to Brad Allen. One of them has to have said it obviously reported. I don't think they're just walking up to, Brad Allen and not saying anything like they're not staring at him. I don't think they're talking about what they're going to have to eat after this, obviously. So they say something and I'm totally assuming that it's, you know, report or one of them is saying it. And I think maybe Brad Allen either just mixed it up or maybe it was Dan Skipper that reported and not Taylor Decker, whoever, whatever happened. It just like the entire thing just seems like a stupid way of doing this. Does it not like if you're looking back on this and I I don't want to, I hate, you know, I said this before. I'm not somebody that's going to bash referees. I don't want to be that podcast because every other podcast does that. It's ridiculous. But Brad Allen probably got this wrong. But again, to be fair to him, and this is nothing he'll ever he'll ever say or any other referee will ever say. There's a lot of stuff that they're looking at in that situation. Like there's a ton of stuff going on under. I'm not saying it's understandable by any means. That's their job. I get it. But sometimes one slips through the cracks. I that sucks. And there is playoff implications in this game. It should not have happened the way it did. But also, after that penalty, they still had a chance, two chances, actually. The next play, they were pushed back five yards, uh, and they were still going for the two-point conversion, and they drew Michael Parsons off sides. That gave them basically back to where they were the first time, and they still didn't convert. At what point do we say, hey, by the way, Dan Campbell, you should have just kicked the extra point, and then we go into overtime at this point. That's what should have happened. Like, we're mad at Brad Allen, rightfully so. Incorrect call. Probably in the wrong. I like no doubt. Uh, I, I'm not going to make the argument that he's not in the wrong, but also Dan Campbell, like I get that the, the, your philosophy is that we go for it. We play here to win the football game. But after that, you're, you know, the, the all in card, if you will, has been blown. I don't know what your backup option is for two point conversions like that. They were basically on their third option for two point conversions because they drew Micah Parsons off sides. So they're on their third option for a two point conversion and the play that they came up with didn't even, or at least the, the read that Jared Goff made was somebody that wasn't even in the end zone to complete the two point conversion. So at what point are we just like, like, yes, Brad Allen was incorrect. 
he was incorrect. He made he made the incorrect call. Uh, agreed. Somebody somebody messed up on the refereeing side. Some something happened here. Something messed up. But at the same time, he could have like Dan Campbell could have just elected to kick the extra point. They're going into overtime. If they win in overtime, we're not having this conversation. It's kind of the same thing that happened in like the Rams Saints uh, NFC Championship game not too long ago. What was that? Four or five years ago, something like that. Uh, when the Patriots played the Rams, but then the NFC Championship game, Rams blatantly, one of the quarterbacks blatantly hit a wide receiver early. That game ended up, and they missed the pass interference call. That would have put them pretty much on the goal line, essentially, because it was at the two-yard line or something like that. Um, but something that's not talked about very much is they got the ball in overtime. Like, the Saints got the ball in overtime. They got it to win the football game, and they didn't convert. They didn't win the game after that. The Rams went down, and they scored. And that was the end of the ball game. So I don't know. I think we're missing. And I, I like Dan Campbell. I think he's very good at what he does. He's uh, somebody who is maybe smarter than I think we give him a lot of credit for. I'm one of those people because we see him. We're like, okay, this is the jacked football dude. We don't give a lot of credit to, but I think he's really a lot smarter than we give him credit for. But I think maybe he's a little stubborn and hard headed in those situations where he had, he had the two point conversion. And now to see it taken away from him, he just wants it back. And now he's going to try to attempt to get it back by, you know, trying to convert it again. And two point conversions are hard to do just one time to try to do them back to back times. And also very, very difficult. So I don't know. I I think there's guilty parties on both sides. Unfortunate for both, um, I guess, the lines and the referees in that game. But it does it does hurt playoff uh, seating when it comes to the Lions. So it sucks to be. Sucks to be the Lions. But again, I, honestly, the Lions at this point, I think they're kind of riding high right now, right? Like, look, they won the NFC North. They're division champs for the first time in, what was it, 25 years or something ridiculous like that? Like, you know, yeah, it sucks. And divisional seating hurts. But, I mean, they're farther than most people my age have ever seen them. So, you know, uh, you know, it gives it and it takes. That's football for you, baby. Gives and it takes. Uh, okay. That, ladies and gentlemen, I think we're going to wrap it up there. Uh, I want to thank you very much again for tuning in to the show. We're going to conclude it here. I want to uh, remind you to please go rate this podcast wherever you listen to it. We'll be back doing regularly scheduled postings every week. We're going to start posting on Monday, obviously, Monday afternoon. Now that Monday Night Football is over, we're going to start posting more regularly on Monday. So stay tuned for that. It's going to be Monday evenings. So stay tuned for that. Uh, If you can't catch it Monday evenings, Tuesday mornings are fine as well. Just... Remember, you can catch us on any of the podcasting platforms, sharetomedia.com as well. Wherever you want to listen to it, you can listen to it. So we'll be back next week, next Monday. Next Monday, we will be back. So thank you very much for tuning in. This has been the Weekend Sports Rep Podcast, and I have been your host, James Timberlake. <laughs>